you are in the perfect place at the divine time to be touched by a horse. Here's your hosts, Melissa Pierce and Dane Cheek. Hi, everybody. It is my pleasure today to welcome you all back to our podcast. Today, instead of Dane, I know it's always a little disappointing because he is my funny sidekick, but when I do these interviews, it is me and a very special guest. And today is a dear friend of mine, also a graduate of our Equine Gestalt coaching program, a phenom in her own right. I'm really happy to be chatting today with Nancy DeSantis. Hi, Nance. Hi, Melissa. You live in Santa Fe, New Mexico. I've had the pleasure and the honor of having fabulous Italian food in your home and keeping my horses there overnight when I'm on my way to Arizona and all kinds of different things. So it's a a beautiful, beautiful place that you have. I'm going to back up before we talk about your spot and ask you an odd question. Did you have horses when you were a child? I should know that and I don't. No, I didn't have horses as a child. I started riding horses in Arizona on a vacation when I was 12 with my mom and my eldest sister. And then my sister saw how I enjoyed it and she bought me lessons. And then I I did lessons English riding in New York, where I'm from. Nice. So so you wanted them. You always wanted your own pony for Christmas, right? You were that kid. (laughs) So that's great. (laughs) So I was thinking today about our conversation and I know the answer to a few questions that I might ask you, but describe your program, Horses for Heroes. How do you really, when somebody says, what do you do? What is your program? What's your formal answer to that? My formal answer actually is we work with veterans and active military and assist them on their journey to healing and growing. That's the short answer. Awesome. That's awesome. And you work with Gold Star families. I know we've I've seen the beautiful way that you honor all of that and have your horses there. So we'll, we'll get into all of that. The question is, I was preparing for this that I found interesting that I never in all the years I've known you have thought to ask you is how did you personally become interested in working with veterans? I don't know your history on that. Oh, how funny. My husband and I were working with his 4-H club that him and his daughter started when they moved full-time to Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then a friend of ours was working with an organization and she was presented with veterans and contacted Rick and said, hey, you're the only Green Beret cowboy I know, and I don't know how to work with veterans. And then it just became into this amalgamation of working together and we have always worked cattle with our our neighbors and we found that it was very healing one working with horses and two having another mission to actually be around with the ranch community which is a one percent in themselves as the military is one percent right which means one percent of the population goes into the military and then one percent working on the ranch. And so we saw the healing aspects of that and the opportunity to work with veterans to help them in their daily struggles. And so that's how it was basically because my husband is a retired veteran and U.S. Marshal. So that's the short, long story. (laughs) And so that brought your awareness through him to, I I wonder, because I thought, I don't think Nancy's father was in the military. You personally weren't in the military. So I kept thinking, I knew Rick had been. And 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 it would be fun for be fun for us to describe Rick. So how do you describe Rick? 
I do want to say my dad was in the military. He was in the army. Oh, okay. Yeah. So All right. How do so I- you actually did have more personal understanding that way too. Yes. So, and I had okay. an uncle in the Navy Seabees. So I was familiar with the military. Okay. Okay. Good. Also, you know, Marines and people that I knew previously BR before Rick. Okay. Before <laughs> BR. I like that. I like that. Well, I just wondered because you have such a heart for it today and I- I just wondered, I thought, how did she first decide of all the things she could be doing with horses as healers that veterans was the population she wanted to work for? So really a big avenue of influence from your dad and other people and relatives and people that you had met, and then your attraction to Rick and then getting to know his story and his interest in working with veterans. Rick is an unusual person. (laughs) He is, he is. But working with the veterans side by side is what really, really, truly hooked me. So, right, yeah, he's right. Uh, he's right. charismatic, and he yes. has trained teams all over the world in his profession as you know, special forces and uh, U.S. Marshal. And so it was natural for him to just like in retirement create a program. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. we, that we built together. So you, you, because you're married to him and because you've been with him for so many years, but you drop a lot of words that I want people to stop and hear green beret, special forces. I mean, you know, yes, that's who he is, but that's phenomenal. That's really also a 1% of the 1%, right? I mean, it's just amazing what he's done in that way. Now meeting Rick, I will say if you met Rick at Lowe's or a baseball game or something, you would not see that. You would see this charismatic, friendly, warm, fun guy. I mean, he's just, to me, just gets to know everybody really easy. I always say about Dane, who you know really well, that he's like meeting a three-month-old St. Bernard puppy who's wet. You know, he's just adorable and shakes his wet all over you. That's what he's like. So I don't know. <laughs> meeting Rick what metaphor would you use when people first meet? Oh Rick? gosh. Oh my gosh. That's not yeah. That's hard. <laughs> but he's he's basically like meeting when he meets you, you feel like you are meeting your long lost friend. I think that's the best way to describe yes. it because yes, he has so. no strangers, right? You're not even a stranger the first time you, you meet him. Yeah. He's like, hey, yeah. how you doing? And you get the big bear hug from no. him. And um, he's just right. always so open, right. extrovert, that energy. He's pleased to be talking to you. Yeah, yeah. Just amazing. Yeah. And later <laughs> in his life, after being the U.S. Marshal and all these other things, when did he become a chaplain? When did he go into that part? So after I went into your program, to be able to work on a deeper level with our veterans. Uh He says he was inspired by me going through your master program. Okay. And so once I graduated, he went in, he started and he went into theology, Baylor, and he's come through a lot, a long ways. And we have the San Marcos seminary. Now here we have our little chapel, San Marcos chapel, but he did work as a chaplain for about three years with our cops here in Santa Fe. And that was, you know, he had a, he's a lot, he does a he lot. Does. <laughs> so I said, let's just bring it back here to our veterans and their families. Yeah. And meet you here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but he also went into, he's always had a love 
you know, we both were raised Catholic and whatever practicing or not, he, his love, that was one of his basis as well as horses, but he wanted to be able to address more for our veterans. So like how I went into your program, he went into seminary to address what we as post-traumatic spiritual dissonance. So instead of PTSD, it is, we stand for for that instead of traumatic stress, which is part of the spiritual dissonance. So that's actually why he went in, in to go back to school and got his divinity degree. Yeah, yeah. What a dynamic couple. So I just, I wanted to make sure that we brought him into this picture. So when you're speaking about your program, you know, all of our listeners understand this is a power couple for veterans. This is a couple that has said, well, we need to become more educated, more aware of what is trauma, what is recurring trauma? How do you, you know, how do you work with it? What do you do? And I had the honor of working with you as you were starting into some of that journey of exploration and education and all of that. And then you've taken it light years into your own ideas and you and Rick together have just combined into this um, program that is outstanding, really, truly outstanding. When people ask me, well, who do you know that knows a lot about PTSD? Nancy DeSantis. (laughs) So you might've been a student of mine, but you are a phenom in your own right today. So absolutely beautiful. You bet. So talk about the, how the veteran becomes a part of your program. What does it mean? So if I were a combat veteran and I know you work with male and female and I was having difficulty sleeping and dealing with things that I saw, I couldn't let go of what I had been through. I was proud that I was part of the service, but I had reverberation in my whole beingness uh, from it. How do I, and what do I experience if you say, yes, you are somebody that we can work with? What happens next? What what do I experience with you? Okay. Experiencing. So once they're here, once they're here, we work through our Cowboy Up program and our Wisdom Way. So what I mean by that is, so I'll just, how about if I give you like a day, right? You come here, we have dinner the first night, first of all, because that lays the groundwork and we we get to know them a little bit more than our previous Zoom call of which we, you know, interview and meet each other to make sure it's a good fit for our participants. And so we start out with yoga in the morning to become more embodied and I'm able to lay down some breath work and I'm able to instill at the end of that session after flexibility because you want to you we are as young as our spine right and that keeps our injuries down for when we start working and riding horses and so after after that we start with groundwork with the horses and we take our mornings and we work with the horses and each day we advance into the saddle and then what we do is in the afternoon to work with more of their challenges that you were mentioning. I go into very deep into brain science and uh, our nervous system in order to give them a really deep understanding of what PTSD is because they haven't gotten that education in the VA no. system, Veterans Affairs system. Right. They've gotten the label and they've gotten the official definition and most of them that I know reject it. Right. They don't like that label. You know, it's like, no, exactly. that doesn't fit and me, is- right? So, so, so you kind of are helping them reframe it exactly. and say, no, wait a minute. 
Let's let's get another way of looking at the same thing and what's actually occurring in your brain and and how how this works. So you help them with that, the education. In your brain, your body, and your spirit. Yes. Because there's not one size of PTS, right? And it's different for everyone. So some of it will be the combat multiple deployments that really agitate their nervous system, but they're not talked to in this way. All they're like you're saying is a given a label and, oh, so I'm the crazy veteran, which is not the case. So they are, they are dysregulated. War is a dysregulating situation to be in. It affects your mind, body, and spirit. And so our program addresses all three of them. I love that. I love that. So so that now I have my education. You, I've had a Zoom call with you. I've had dinner with you and Rick. I feel more at home. I've seen your property and I'm there and I don't know a lot about horses, but I'm doing this groundwork with you to learn more about them. And I've gotten my body more flexible. And now you've given me this really eye-opening education to kind of reframe and look at it and try it on. Then what happens? Well, and let me just back up a little bit. As we're working with everything with through the horses, we're addressing their issues. We meet people where they are. So let's just say I get really frustrated and I don't know how to deal with it, you know, in my relationships. And so the horse offers a great opportunity to do so. And they offer a great opportunity to show an individual how to downregulate their system. They're like a, a biofeedback when they say, I just extended my exhale and that horse responded, I said, yes. <laughs> so they know it's legitimately like, you know, working. So we take everything just like, I want you to take off the mat, off the yoga mat. I want you to take all these principles that I'm giving you when we're discussing. And I want you to apply them to when we start riding on the back of a horse. And I want you to take them off the horse and I want you to apply it when you're driving down the road and you get nervous mm -hmm. and or, you know anxious like for what they see if in case there's like a bag on the side of the road is the traditional example, you know, because when you're in combat, IEDs were always off in a little bag or something on the side of the road and on the shoulder. And so that becomes ingrained in it's an awareness. It's not that it's crazy. Their system is efficient and remembers that danger. So we have to restructure that, da that danger signal and say, there's nothing wrong with that hypervigilance. That hypervigilance is a survival skill. And that was meant to you and always will be there, but we're going to line down some new super highways where you can dial back and put that, that little space between stimulus and response where you're not going to be triggered so much. And so I literally sit and work with their triggers and I see how it applies to their family, um, their life situation, their relationships. And they always say, which really shocks me, Melissa, is we never looked at it this way, you know, within all the therapy that they've done. That should be the first thing, you know, that you address, have the understanding. So they have real embodied experiences with our horses. So anything that is happening through conversation and the classroom time or even over our mealtime conversation, I apply it and it, it has to be embodied because that's where they get that real understanding, which is why the gestalt as well, if I have deeper process work we can do is also another way. And, and it's a felt experience in the individual. 
Exactly. They never forget what a 1,200-pound horse teaches them. You know, a 1,200-pound horse reacts to their breath and they realize the world is a sensitive place and it can be a kind place and give them that kind of feedback to what kind of energy they're carrying around and, and how much they affect the world around them. Horses are such profound teachers. They really, they really are. No, they are. And so sometimes... I'm the interpreter. And so that's why I studied all these ways, studied mindfulness and why are these horses so good and mindfulness and the nervous system, because it's the nervous system that they're feeling. (laughs) It's that vibration, right? And so when you can tap all those levels to give them the deep understanding, they're like, wow, you know, (laughs) this is like exactly. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Touched by a Horse offers three comprehensive programs giving you the ability to have the career you've always dreamed about, working in partnership with the magic of horses. Our equine facilitator program provides you with the skills to build a thriving business hosting group experiences with horses. Our equine gestaltist program prepares you to open your own private gestalt practice in partnership with horses. And our master equine gestaltist program builds your gestalt skills both in and outside the round pen. All of our programs include in-depth live classes, business growth training, and a supportive community of herd members to collaborate with and learn from. Visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com to learn more about which program is right for you and your healing herd. I think a a fellow graduate of my program told you about it. When you first came in to EGC, and and by the way, it's come a long way since then. You're one of my earlier graduates, kind of midway, I guess. We're in our 15th year now. So, you know, it's come a long way. But when you were in the program and you were learning the Gestalt methodology and you were looking at all of it, what's been your takeaway? Like, what, what have you learned for yourself? I have to tell you in your audience the reason why I went into your program is because veterans, when they we rode alongside one another, they said, I will never go back to that therapist. I will never do exposure therapy, you know, and um, we stopped, you know, suicidal calls because of situations that were not a healthy way for the veteran. And so I said, I have to go and I have to be able to help people on a different level. And you're right. You're one of the graduates helped me and said, you need to talk to Melissa. And so the way that I found going through your program that it has been helpful is that lived experience and cleaning out that fin- that unfinished business, that real soul wound, what we call soul wound, you know, that spiritual distance without having to do months and months of therapy because I have a veteran sitting in front of me that's done months and years. And I'm thinking, well, what am I going to do? I'm not the therapist. And the horses are that bridge. And, uh, you know, I'm a gestaltist. So I'm trained and I know how to work with that. And bless me in, in what I do, connecting all the dots. And so it's been a profound shift one, just working with the horses is like incredible. And then you want further healing. You have something sticking in your side there. Let's deal with it. 
you know, and a lot of it is grief. So one of the biggest pieces is our grief work in our program, which I mean, our program, your program, the EGCM, the gestalt way of doing that. And it's profound, you know, and then you take that up, you wrap it up in a little box and people feel good. You know, and if something comes up that's a little bit similar or that even that grief story comes up again, what it does is it takes that, it discharges it. It takes most of the energy out. And now they're in the awareness of, oh, this is arising. Oh, I can identify this. This is grief, right? And so I also, in my working with them, will teach them all about emotions, energy and motion. It's not a big it's not feminine we all deal and the best thing is to go yeah. there yeah you paid attention that's right so I, I think I think the the thing that surprises people when they work with me is that they're prepared in their drive over to the ranch and their walk down to the barn they're prepared for me to ask them to tell me about something and to really get into some big story. And I'm usually into the gestalt in under a minute or two. Like I don't need the story. The story will come out in the experiential work. What needs to come out will show up. So it's such a refreshing experience for the client because they're thinking, oh, I'm not just going to sit and regurgitate again what happened to me. You know, I get to actually do something that changes and shifts things. And I end up leaving in the sand what caused me all that pain and what I've had nightmares about and what I've just been so tortured over in my soul. I can leave it here and not need to take it. I'll remember it. Like you said, I'll remember it. It won't carry the charge. And I know they're always so surprised, you know, at how fast we get into what we call the work rather than another chance to just talk about it and have more intellectual understanding of it, which is all well and good. You you need to understand some things, but gosh, there's nothing like doing the experiential work. And the horses are definitely our partners. They have their own insight, their own expression, their own way of doing it. And that's always really fascinating for the clients as well, you know, just to say, now, wait a minute, how did that, how did that horse know to do that? Have you ever had your veterans ask how you trained your horse to do the work? I laugh because I'm like, no, no, no. I laugh too. <laughs> no, <laughs> we really- needed the training. The, hu- the humans needed the training. The horses already know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they already know what they're doing. They already yeah, know. And it's sure. really funny. I had a, I had a special forces cat here. And it wasn't Gestalt, but everything we do with horses is Gestalt because they're the original Gestalt therapist. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's true. It's in, true for in sure. In the round pen, when I'm working with them and I ask them to, you know, work with breath, extend your exhale, and that horse comes in. This guy, he was so sweet. He goes, This is some real voodoo stuff. Are you some voodoo witch doctor? And so he did it three more times and he was able to control the horse and bring him in with his breath, able to get him up to a right. trot with his breath and right. bring him down with his breath. And so nice. it's so nice. wonderful nice. though that, that horse, like I said, they're the bridge between the spiritual and the physical world. And they make my work so much easier. In fact, what I love about the salt is I don't have to. I don't have to go in with all this stuff because I'm meeting the person where they are and all I'm doing is facilitating to bring out their wisdom and 
you know, that's what's so wonderful about it. Yeah, that's the original premise. Yeah, I, this original premise. And I remember when I've said this to students as they're coming in, I say, you want some really good news? You don't have to have the answers for your clients. And I'm like, what? So it's not about us having the answers for somebody else's life. You don't need to be a genius on what somebody should do with their life. You need to know how to do coactive gestalt work with me and bring that out so that it's their answers for them. It's their wisdom that gets underscored, you know, by the horse and by the process. So I love that. I absolutely love that. How many veterans go through your program, say in a one year period of time? Do you, do you know, can you quantify that? What do you guess? How many you work with in a year? We actually quantify it by hours because we have reoccurring uh, people that come up that are local and sometimes they come back for a little bit longer stay to work just actually to like, that was really cool. And I now really want to focus on this area of my life, this in the horsemanship. And so (laughs) it's funny, you know, we were sitting with our accountant and he goes, he's looking at the paperwork and he says, 90 hours. And we're like, yeah, because we have Rick, we have me, we have my Wrangler, we're all working with one individual. So that's actually how we quantify it. But through a year, we can have, you know, I mean, hundreds of people come through our. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Some stay on site. You have a beautiful bunkhouse and some stay on site and stay for a little while. Others live locally. And and I do want to say, because we, Nancy, we have listeners to this podcast all over the world. And there are a lot of really good equine programs for veterans. You can find them kind of everywhere, but there is none like what we're talking about with Nancy. The gestalt is truly different. So if you've been through a veterans program with equine and you thought, well, I don't remember all this, the difference really is the gestalt experience to it and being able to apply this method and what Nancy and Rick have taken the time to decode the normal reaction to PTSD, which is considered a syndrome and a disorder and words nobody wants labeled on their head to spiritual dissonance. And that's a big distinction. And that's the beauty, uh, you know, of their work. So you can find them at horsesforheroes.com. Org. So it's make sure you do the .org part, horsesforheroes.org. They're in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I just want to make sure I got that out there. If you are a person who has an equine-assisted facility for veterans and you're interested in either my training or in speaking to Nancy, you can reach out to her. One of the things that she'll tell you is to come through my training. But our two-year students, our basic EGC students, then take a graduate training with Nancy. She's a phenomenal trainer. Every year, their minds are blown. (laughs) They come back to me going, oh my God, am I glad I did that? They just learn so much how to apply exactly what we do into that type of setting. And some of them are doing this for EMS, EMT, firefighters, police, you know, other people that have jobs of service in which they're frontline in there. When I'm working myself with somebody who say has been frontline to as an ambulance person or EMS or something like that, I, and I don't know if you do this in your work. So I was going to ask you for me, one of the biggest pieces that we work toward is an enactment of a time they remember 
and asking them, you went in as a professional, a highly trained professional with all of your nerves put together, like everything is there and you did what was expected of you. And what didn't get a chance to happen was the human side of you. The regular Joe part of you didn't get a chance to show up and say, I want to first cry for all the pain I'm witnessing in these people that have had this horrible car accident. I want to comfort people and, and say all these nice things. What I have to do is click into triage and getting them in the ambulance and the, the neck board and all the professional things. And sometimes they get back and they're on to the next call. There's no time to say, but as a human, I hurt seeing that child hurt in that accident. Or I, I, you know, so they can't address like their human part. And that's what I love about the work is giving a person an opportunity. And if you're listening and you're an EMT or an EMS or police or anything else, kind of give some thought to that of how even by yourself, how you can take a walk and be honest and true to yourself. How, what is the human in you show up to? What are you holding inside that was the human response to what you saw? It flies in the face of all of your training. Absolutely all of their training is, nope, button it up, button it up, button it up. They have to, to get through the job they have to do. So we off, we give them an opportunity to, for once, in, you know, take that uniform off and respond as a human being, get that out, get that behind you, get that released and away so you're not holding it, you know. I had somebody the other day say to me, I said, what is it like waiting to do this work? Because she needed to wait a little bit to get into my schedule and all that. And I said, you're struggling with that. What are you saying? How is this feeling? And she said, I feel as if I have all of my pain in a beach ball and the beach ball I have to hold underwater. So I'm pushing this beach ball down underwater just as hard as I can. And I have a lot of fear about it coming up out of the, because it's going to shoot high and I need to know you're going to be able to catch it. I thought that was the most brilliant metaphor for how that feels. And her beach ball flew and we caught it. And now she doesn't have to push that beach ball down any longer. Isn't that a cool metaphor? You know, creating that safe space for them to do that. And that's what the horses do. You know, and then we get to go in there and, and do our our work on the levels that we do our our work. Oh, you know? 100%, 100%. Now, par some of your guys, and I, I don't know who gets to do this and I don't know how you decide it and all that, but some of your people actually progress with the horses to do some of the cattle work and some of the ranch work, right? Yes, they have. You know, that's really coming, you know, it's getting smaller and smaller, <laughs> you know, that world. So it, it happens if somebody is here <laughs> during that time for that yeah. week they are invited out for OJT on the job training. So we just actually graduated one of our Marines. It was, I think, our May branding, I want to say. Yeah. So we graduated him. Not everybody that comes to our program doesn't graduate and get the purple order, you know, wild rag, but somebody that meets all those invisible, you know, benchmarks. And, and he did. And he was out with me this week. I have a dad and his family and he helped and he instructed and it's just great 
because all our anybody that's helping us usually is ha, is a veteran themselves as well. And they yeah, they want to turn around and be of service helping somebody else as well. That's their nature. That's what called them into the service in the first place, it's right? To make nature. a difference. Yeah, so. and it is it's giving them just a, another additional, you know, restructuring that mission because they're mission oriented. They miss that. They miss that team feel of a team. And so they get that here. Is there a difference that you've seen between the male veterans and the female veterans in your approach? Is there a difference to where, I don't want to make assumptions, to where they hold their pain, to how what they go through, to how they process it? I mean, I know I'm thinking to myself the traditional, how for the most part, men are raised to hold it in, put up with things, tolerate things, you know, move forward. Whereas the average female has a little bit more ability to express her emotions and probably doesn't feel free to do so while she's in the service. So that's all assumptions on my part. <laughs> but what do you experience? What's what's the difference? Well, they are operating in a man's world. And so they are doing and and competing with, you know, when they're in boot camp, they're keeping up with and everything. They take on more of a masculine mindset. There's nothing wrong with that. But it turns out to bite them when they come out and transition into the civilian world because they're often seen as very strong women and other women that are not in the military. Not everybody. So if you're listening and you're non-military, please don't be offended. But many are, um, they're not used to that in other women to be so very have a command presence, have their emotions under cap. And I see it a lot, even in our, um, when I, cause we work with couples and you see it with the couples, even though you have a female veteran and the husband is civilian, non-military, you see that. Well, just can't you, can't you suck it up? <laughs> you know, so everybody is different. So you just can't go in there with all those those scripts and everybody says it's this way and it's a female brain, male brain and and the cultural rules around things, but they are. They operate in a man's world and they take and that's their strength coming out. You know, but in dealing with emotions and processing, both of them oftentimes need the education around that in order to have a deeper understanding and feel safe, you know, understand that vulnerability is not a weakness and that it's courageous, you know, so it's so wonderful to, to work with both. Well, I remember saying to you when you first graduated from my program, I remember having a conversation with you and I said, Nancy, never forget while they have a lot of their stuff from their experience in the military, they also had childhoods. They also had families of origin that may or may not have been healthy families. They may not have been high functioning families, or they might've been, I mean, you don't know, but they could have had trauma back there when they were 10 years old. And so we have to always search and see them as a, a whole human being that went into the service, not just the veteran. And I think that you do that so well. And that's one of the things I think some of the programs forget. They're so focused on the veteran experience, but the veteran experience is tainted, it's colored, it's highlighted, it's affected by what happened prior to going into the military as well. 
So how they saw themselves, you know, doing that, how they saw themselves, why they enlisted in the first place, you know, why they became interested in going in. There's some big stories there for all of them. No, there are big stories. Yeah, I went in because my father and my grandfather and the grandfather behind him were. That's that's a common story to military. They traveled down the families. Others, I thought I was going to be put in jail, so I went in the military. Very different backgrounds on those two, you know. Oh, and, and it. It runs the gamut. The childhood experience is often what comes up and it surprises everybody. And so that's why I had to do a deep dive into childhood trauma, you know, and and connecting those dots because the VA will say literally to our veterans saying, I can only work with your combat experience here. Right. It's like, well, you're missing (laughs) because trauma is multi-layered. It might be that the combat is... Or it doesn't even have to be in combat, Melissa. There's things that are happening in one's time and service, you know, in the military that is traumatizing or wakes up and triggers all these other things. It's not to say, oh, you know, I'm screwed up because of that and to be victimized. You address it, address that unfinished business so that you can work through the different layers. How well did you believe in yourself the day you enlisted? Did you enlist saying, I'm going to rock this. I'm a great guy. I'm, you know, or did you go in saying, I have no choice. I'm a total loser and maybe they'll take me. I mean, it's amazing what people have experienced in the first 18 years of their life and how that shapes. And certainly in the military, I have one other question for you. And, and I just thought of it. So, so bear with me as I, as I express this, when I work with people, I worked with a woman this morning who has had a very turbulent life herself. Lots of stuff, lots of trauma. You know, I won't go into details, but I mean, she's had a lot and she's young. She's in her mid twenties and she's finding herself repeatedly attracted to men who have also had terrible childhoods and lots of trauma and pretty fractured, broken guys. So that's pretty classic. We see that a lot that people say, well, I'm not consciously, but they say, I'm a broken person with a bad background and you're a broken person. So we're probably supposed to be together and we can help each other. I I wonder with the veterans that if you see that, if you see some that are PTSD, husband, PTSD, wife, because it's more common for marriages in in the military today too. Do you see that as supporting each other, triggering each other, a good thing and not so good thing? Is it tricky? What do you experience with that? So you're going to have your gamut if it's going to be different for all. I see even those two people that are in the service have PTSD, it's oftentimes not a good combination, but it's only because they have this label that is at the surface level and there's no understanding of what's going on to their biological predictable behavior of post-traumatic stresses. So you boil that down just what stresses and what stress does and learn all about that. So once there's that understanding and you can visit emotions and work through them and have open dialogues about that's why I love mandala work. You know, it brings up such great conversation or a lot of the other things that we do too. And it's across the board, but I would say most don't stay together, even if it's like, let's just say PTSD in the one military and non-military spouse. They battle heads because it becomes the label and it because it comes to, it's my crazy veteran. And that's why it gets pointed to them. And that's one of the things I deal with. And a lot of times I have to put opposite sport, the opposite spouse on point and, and do the education where they can see, you know, and it's just like, 
oh, I didn't realize I was triggering. And then they trigger each other. And that's why it's so important, not only in one individual's experience of triggers, but in the relationship. It's so important. And that's why we're actually, this coming year, we're going to have an even higher focus on couples coming out. Listen, we heal within one another because we co-regulate. So if I'm mad, you're, you become mad unless if you are, you know, have a good secure foundation and you're regulated, then you can help the other one to downregulate. Yeah, I, I love that. And I go all the way back to, gosh, 80 years ago to the early work in Gestalt when what was discovered and written about in the very, very early works was that if a person has deep awareness of themselves, the parts of their personality, where they formed, the dark parts, the light parts, all of it, the better the person's awareness is of who they are and the parts that they have, then the healthier they are physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, on every realm. It's gaining that awareness of who you really are, how you operate, how you respond, what happens. It's not the why. We never ask why in Gestalt because why always has a pretty multi-pointed, multi-fascinated, slippery answer. So it's, it's never productive. In Gestalt, we're really asking how. How did this part form? How did this piece of you, you know, how does this anger reside in you, whatever it might be? Well, I could talk to you all day. I love you. I'm excited to see you. I'm going to be seeing you soon and believe so wholeheartedly in your work with your beautiful husband on your great property. You guys do operate as a non-profit. So donations are definitely part of your world. And it's hard as a nonprofit to have the time to do the fundraising, plus all this beautiful work that you're doing. So I hope in this podcast, some of you will reach into your pocketbook, find horsesforheroes.org and send them whatever you can send them because the work they're doing in the world not only helps these people heal, but it's a ripple effect. It's like a stone in a pond. One veteran is able to say, I breathe deep, I sleep well at night, and the trigger is gone for me. Sharing that with another veteran gives them hope. Even if they never meet Nancy, it gives them hope. And they pass on some of the things she says, and they pass on. You know what? It's spiritual dissonance. I mean, it is like a stone in a, in a beautiful pond. So if you can do it financially, please send some money to horsesforheroes.org. If you're curious about Nancy and Rick, they both have emails at rick or at nancy at horsesforheroes.org and welcome your inquiry. If you are a veteran, feel free to reach out. If you're looking for training in that work, reach toward me. They do not have the time to answer those questions for people. They don't have the bandwidth, the time, the staff, or anything else to have people reach out to them to say, well, I want to know how you got your organization started. Just direct those to my office and we'll help you guys with that because uh, seriously, we don't want to take their time to do that. That's our job. So we're happy to do that. <laughs> I, I say that well enough to save you from that. Cause that's always the risk, the risk of doing these podcasts is, you know, <laughs> that people will reach out and I know you want to answer everyone and all of that, but it is time consuming. So that's us. We do the training, but if you are a veteran and this really hit a chord for you and you're struggling at any level, please do reach out to them. That's who they want to have reach out. So yes. thank you so 
so much, Nancy at horsesforheroes.org. Thank you so much. Can't wait to Thank see you. you. I know it's I know the day we're recording this in early September, it'll show it'll show out in September, is so hot across the West. And by the time it plays, it will be a nice cool day. So that's our that's our image. Oh nice. <laughs> so it'll be good. good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so, you so much. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Touched by a Horse podcast. If you'd like more information about anything we've talked about on the show today or our certification program, please visit our website at touchedbyahorse.com. That's touchedbyahorse.com. Or contact our office by phone at 303 303- Four four zero seven one two five. Also, be sure to keep up with us on social media. We're at Touched by a Horse on both Facebook and Instagram. See you around the barn and on the next episode.